I missed you last week. Father had me someplace else. I'd made a previous commitment before coming as your interim, and I had to honor that commitment. But, man, I'm glad to be back because when I miss a Sunday, I don't see you for two whole weeks. And that's an eternity for me. And uh, it's so good to see you again today. And I'm excited about starting this, this series on prayer. Um, I don't have any fear whatsoever that you would agree with me that prayer is a significant part of the Christian journey. As we are moving through life, prayer is necessary and we believe in prayer and we want to be involved in prayer. But how much do we actually pray? Father challenged me on that several years ago. And things really began to change in my own personal walk because he, he taught me to go deeper into prayer. And, and Jesus was a man of prayer. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark. Mark chapter 1. It's just going to be one quick verse I'm going to read, but I want you to see it in God's Word because Jesus was a man of prayer when He walked on the face of this earth. And some of you like this verse and some of you hate it. Yeah, you just groaned, didn't you? (laughs) Because it said, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark... He, meaning Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Jesus started his day on a regular basis with prayer. But I want you to notice, not only did he get up early while it was still dark, and that's real easy in the winter. You know, some of us make it to work a long time before the sun comes up in the winter. But in the summer, it's a little tougher to get up while it's still dark. And the scripture is not trying to tell us that you have to get up before dark. That's not the point. The point is Jesus started his day with prayer. But did you notice he went to a desolate place? Go to Luke chapter 5, verse 16. And Jesus has just got through cleansing a leper. And there's got to be some excitement about it. It says, but because the report went out that this was happening. And look what it says in verse 16 of Luke chapter 5. But he, meaning Jesus, withdrew to desolate places and prayed. In the midst of his busy day, he withdrew at times to a desolate place to pray. Go to Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Again, he's had a busy day. But he knew something significant needed to be done. And we pick it up in verse 12 and it says, In these days he, meaning Jesus, 
went up to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Do you see the pattern? He was constantly withdrawing himself and spending time alone with the Father talking about things. That was his pattern. And by desolate places, it doesn't mean that you have to find some pit in the ground to go to. It just means get away by yourself. Spend some time with him. Now, there's nothing wrong with corporate prayer. It is very much talked about in the scripture. It's part of who we are as a family of faith. But those times of corporate prayer will mean so much more to us if we've spent time with him in private talking about the things that we personally need to talk to him about. But here's the clincher. Why? Why did Jesus get up early in the morning, withdraw during the day, and if necessary, spend all night long in prayer? Why? He is the Son of God. Why? The Scripture tells us. John chapter 5. Go to John chapter 5. Again, let me set it in context. Jesus has just completed a healing on the Sabbath day and that got the religious leaders all in an uproar because he had talked about his Father, meaning God. And they were upset because he was equating himself with the Father and that he had a relationship with God. And look at his response when they challenged him on it. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. I had read that a lot until one day I read it and all of a sudden it dawned on me what it was saying. Here is the Son of God, part of the Trinity. He is God, God the Son. He is on this earth. I mean, you can't get any more connected than being part of the Trinity. And he says, I can't do anything on my own. I don't have any ability to do anything on my own. But what I do is I keep my eye on my father and I see what my father's up to and then I do the exact same thing in the exact same way. And that's why he was up early in the morning to pray. That's why in the midst of a busy day he would withdraw and pray. That's why in the main, a major decision needed to be made like calling the, the uh, disciples he spent all night in prayer. He said, Daddy, I've got to get my eye on you. I've got to get the understanding of exactly what you're up to so that I can be on the same page with you so that we're all the time flowing together. Now, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> Don't answer it out loud. But if that's true of Jesus, 
What's that tell you about you and me about needing to spend time in prayer? And remember Romans 12, 12 said, be constant in prayer. Now that doesn't mean that you're all the time in a desolate place. <laughs> because if you saw what Jesus was doing, he was out there. He was with people. Because that's where the Father had him. But he had these times of retreat, these times of retreat, in order to make sure that he was on the same page with Jesus. And that's what prayer is about. Prayer is communication with God. But so often what we do in our prayer times is we do all of the talking. And we just barge into the presence of God and say, God, here's my problem and here's what I need. And that's part of prayer. Don't ever deny that. But there's more to it than that. Prayer is communication. And normally when we communicate with folks, we have a greeting. Hi, how are you doing this morning? By the way, I need to talk to you about something. And it ought to be natural for us as believers to likewise spend time in prayer by starting with praise and adoration for the Father. Matter of fact, in the scripture, there are 375 different references to prayer, but there are 377 different references to praise. And how often do we praise Him for who He is? And we adore Him for who He is. And then as we are in that process of just worshiping Him, getting up into our, our day activities, just saying, Lord, I just want to thank You for who You are in my life. And oh, by the way, I've got some things I need to talk to you about to make sure that I'm on the same page with you. But there is a third aspect besides the praise and adoration and the request that finished the process of communication called prayer. And it's called listening. Listening. How often do we say, Father, I've laid all this out. Tell me. What to do. I had an experience in my prayer life not too long ago. <clears throat> Very dear friend of mine. Great guy. Doing wonderful ministry. <clears throat> but God laid him on my heart and I began to pray for him because I knew that there was an issue in his life that he needed to deal with. And I was praying, God, change him. God, change him. God, change him because this will make him better than he is now and he's really, really good now. And as I was in the process of praying and I moved into my mode of listening to me, you know what the Father told me? He just kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, T-Mac, I'm glad you're praying for so-and-so. Have you noticed you've got the same problem? What? <laughs> and it dawned on me. You're right. 
as the scripture said, I was worried about the, <clears throat> the speck in his eye. Well, I'm trying to get rid of not even looking and seeing that I've got a beam in my eye. And God began to speak to me. I'm still praying for him. And every morning I say, Lord, help him to overcome that because he need it, needs to and so do I. <laughs> and help me to get over that in my walk with you. In your bulletin, I put some quotes about prayer. Likewise, I hope you'll take these home and look at them. But I love what it says there by Billy Graham. Before prayer changes others, it first changes us. Amen and amen. Because that's what happened to me that I just shared with you. And I love what Oswald Chambers says. He says, remember, no man has time to pray. He has to take time from other things that are valuable in order to understand how necessary time for prayer is. That's what we were just talking about with Jesus. And that John five nineteen passage, he was saying, I've got to take time to pray. I must make time to pray. William Law said, prayer is the nearest approach to God and the highest enjoyment of him that we are capable of in this life. You ever thought about prayer that way? It is the nearest approach and the highest enjoyment. Just being able to talk to the Father. And then Henry Blackaby says this, prayer does not give you spiritual power. Prayer aligns your life with God so that he chooses to demonstrate his power through you. Prayer is designed to adjust you to God's will, not to adjust God to your will. Keep those thoughts before you in these next few weeks as we go through this time of prayer in the Scripture. And may God begin to open you up to a whole new facet of talking with the Father. Let's go to Luke chapter 11 and bring this thing together of what he's actually saying. And I'm just going to camp out here in these passages in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 11. Because here's the foundational teaching for prayer that I want us to capture. All of this other has been intro. I think good information because it's come from the scripture. But here is the foundation piece I want you to see. Of all the things that Jesus did, there was really only one thing the disciples ever came to him and said, Jesus, would you teach us this? And it's prayer. Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. There he is again. The rascal just constantly praying. And when he finished, he did stop the prayer. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he did. And he did. Now, this was common of rabbis in the first century. That their followers, their disciples that would come along with them. The, the rabbis would teach them a simple prayer in order to help them through life. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And you have it recorded in the, the Sermon on the Mount. And you also have it recorded here 
Here it is much simpler, but I think it's just as equally powerful. It says, and so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So he gives them this model prayer. But this as a model prayer is not the prayer you are to pray. He was not saying, every morning get up and repeat after me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And that's the Matthew portion. What he's saying is this is the model. This is the framework. This is the thing that will help you get more intimately involved with me so that I can open up to you what prayer is all about. And he gives these major components. It starts out, Father, hallowed be your name. He's talking about a, a very personal intimate relationship with the Father. Matter of fact, Jesus called him Abba Father, Daddy Father. Now, there are a lot of guys in this room. Some of you are even older than me. But I can't walk up to any one of you and say, Hey, Daddy. Because you're not my Daddy. But every one of us can go to the Father when we have a personal relationship with Him through Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross and say, Abba Father, Daddy Father, it's good to meet with you again today because I, I see your character in the very word of Father, of who you are. You are love. You are goodness. You are kindness. You are God. That's your character. It's not just a title. And it's an intimate personal relationship. And then he said the second thing is, your kingdom come. Basically what Jesus was saying, listen, Father, praise Him and praise Him because He's sovereign. He's in control. And He's working with you. He wants to have relationship with you. He wants to have fellowship with you. But understand, he's sovereign God. And he knows what he's up to. Now, I know you're not like me, but sometimes I question if he knows what he's up to. Because I've got this figured out pretty good. Until he taps me on the shoulders and says, that's your problem, T-Mac. Once again, I'm going to tell you, you need to work on this. He's sovereign. Then he goes on to say, give us each day our daily bread. Now remember, this was written in a culture where bread wasn't good on the shelf for the next three weeks. Bread in those days were pretty well one and done. You bake it, you eat it, or it gets hard as a rock. And he said, every day, you need to talk to him about what you need. It's either request or okay. He wants you to talk about it. Does he know about it? Yeah. But he wants you to talk to him about it because he wants you to make sure that you know the source. That you understand your need. And then he will put the two together. He has the resources. You have the needs. He will take care of us. And then he says, and 
forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. He says, watch out. You need forgiveness. I need forgiveness, but make sure that you are forgiving as well. Don't hold grudges. Don't hold grudges. Let it go. Forgiveness does not mean it didn't happen and it wasn't bad. It just simply says, I'm leaving it in the hands of the Father. I'll let Him take care of it. He will do a better job than you and I ever will be able to do. And then the last thing He said, and lead us not into temptation. And I find that's very confusing to a lot of folks. Do I need to ask him not to lead me into temptation? If I forget to ask him not to if I forget to ask him not to lead me into temptation, he's going to lead me into temptation? No. What what he's saying there is you need to understand that temptation is all around you and left to your own making and decision, you'll probably find a way to get involved in it pretty deep, pretty quick. So ask Him to lead you around and through temptation with your eyes focused on Him. That night in the garden, Jesus was talking to Daddy. And He was saying, Listen, I know what's about to happen. And it's going to hurt. And I don't necessarily want to go through that. But I know it's your plan and I know it's your design. And so lead me not to be tempted to stop now. But guide me to go on to fulfill your purpose and strengthen me so that I can, of my own free will, give my life for the people who need it, which is every human. And then he wraps it up with this parable. And Jesus said to them, Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for the friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. And I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead, excuse me. What father among you, if he asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, first century, a typical household was a one-room 
small abode, you and I would go stark raving mad if we had to live like they did in the first century. It was a dirt floor. The whole family lived in one room. About two-thirds of the floor was nothing but bare dirt that they lived in during the day. And about a third of the room probably was dedicated to the sleeping area where the only difference was they put reeds down on the dirt floor. And then at night when it was time to go to bed, everybody would go to the reed mats. Mom, dad, kids. Oh, by the way, they would often bring in the barnyard animals that uh, were small enough that they might get eaten during the night. And they would go to bed on the dirt floor. And the sleeping area was usually toward the back of the house with the dirt floor in the front. And so here's this guy at midnight saying, Hey, dude, you're my friend. By the way, I got company. Didn't know they were coming. Because, see, that was the way it happened in the first century. Uh, There wasn't a Motel 6 that kept the light on for you. You just found wherever you could, and you hospitality was a big thing. P.S., it's still a big thing, according to the Scripture. And so this guy gets surprised, so he goes to his friend and says, Give me something. I know you baked it this morning, but if you've got anything left over, give it to me. You're going to throw it out tomorrow morning anyway because it's going to be hard as a rock. And the guy says, leave me alone because if I get up to go get you what you need, I'm going to wake up everybody. I'm sitting here thinking, I'm sorry, that's already happened. Y'all are talking back and forth through a wall. Guy's just using it as an excuse. But all of a sudden he gets up and he gives him what he needs because he's persistent. And that teaches us a great deal about prayer. We are to be persistent in our prayer. Long, long time ago, younger folks, you have no idea what I'm about to say. Ask your grandparents, they'll tell you. But some of you grandparents remember a little dabble, do you? Remember that? Yeah, a long time ago. It's a hair thing younger folks that is not descriptive of prayer a little dab won't do you be constant in prayer pray without ceasing what it's talking about is not retreating all the time but just being in a constant attitude of prayer just being able to always be able to just erupt when something happens and say father Now, I need you. He says, okay, I got your back. Oh, by the way, I've got your front and your sides as well. I've got below your feet and I've got above your head. I'm sovereign. I'll take care of you. Trust me. Now, that is not a promise that bad is not going to happen. Matter of fact, he said, bad stuff is going to happen because you named my name. But I'm going to take you through it. I'm going to help you. You're never going to walk alone. I'm always going to be with you. Just be persistent in talking to me and and dialoguing with me. So he says, be persistent in prayer because God will answer. And in this parable, we see that God will always provide what not only is good, but what is the best at the right time. And sometimes answers to prayer are yes, no, and wait. And sometimes it's wait because he has to orchestrate things And he's got to allow people to make decisions because even though he's sovereign, 
you are a free moral agent and you choose whether or not you align yourself in the will of God and walk in His grace and His power or whether you rebel from it and do your own thing. But it won't change. He's sovereign. And He is in control. And we will give an account for the choices we make. And he's going to give us what is good. But the key to this, and I end with this, is in that very last verse. Verse verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And that's the key to prayer. Father, you have promised us and Jesus confirmed it that when he was crucified and he rose from the dead having paid the penalty for our sins and overcome death for us. He said, I've got to go away because if I don't go away, if I don't go back to the Father, then the Holy Spirit won't come to take up residence in you. Holy Spirit has been around. You'll find him in the Old Testament But in the New Testament, after Jesus ascends, He inhabits the lives of believers. And what the Father is saying to us, I think, through this word, as Jesus spoke, is saying, listen, the Father wants to give you the Holy Spirit. He's in you, but He needs you to start listening to Him. Because He's in you. That's why prayer is so foundational that you constantly walk around in this whole understanding that I can talk to the Father at any point. And when I hit that point where I know I need help, I can immediately call out to Him and ask the Holy Spirit to guide me and to walk with me. You're not alone. And Father wants us to be in prayer with Him and communicating with Him. And it all begins with that relationship. Do you know Him as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you come to that point where you've said, I am a sinner and I know I need a Savior. And you've invited Him to come into your life to save you so that you can partner with Him And if you've done that, have you been obedient to Him in believer's baptism? That's part of our assignment, to baptize those who have believed, to be obedient to Him. And then, are you letting Him just communicate with you so that you, like Jesus, can say, Father, I'm just going to keep my eye on you, and that way I'll be able to do the same thing that you're doing in the exact same way by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't have the power, but He does. And as we align ourselves with Him, that power flows through us. And that's why we also need the church to encourage us. Folks, there's a difference between attending a church on a regular basis every Sunday and being a part of a local body of believers. And it's important. Jesus was a man of prayer. And let me ask you a question. Are you a person of prayer? Let's pray. Father, would you speak to us?
Father, thank you for tapping me on the shoulders on a regular basis and showing me what I need to do. And I pray right now, Father, you would just tap us on the shoulder. Show us, do we have that relationship with you? Have we been obedient in believer's baptism? Have we been obedient to become part of your local body of believers, a local church where where we take up membership to help one another and to encourage one another. But most important, Father, are we in such an intimate relationship with you that we adore you and worship you and praise you and we give you the requests that are on our heart and then we listen so that you can tap us on the shoulder. Tap us on the shoulder right now, Father. Right now. And show us what we need to do. For we are listening to what you want to say. In Jesus' name. As the piano and instruments play. The elders will be down here. Jeremy will be down here. If there's some reason you need to make a decision to accept Christ to be obedient in baptism, to join the church. Or maybe you have a re- prayer request. You just want to come and say, I need somebody just to pray with me. This is your time. Let's stand together with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Don't be looking around. Just listen to God and then you respond. If there's a decision you need to make, these men are down here at the front. They will pray with you. They'll pray for you. And they'll help you with any decision you need to make. The invitation is open. You respond now.